Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Welcome again. The sponsor of The Derek Izzy Show for the month of August is Blue Apron. What is Blue Apron? Check this out. They send you pre-prepared meals delivered to your front doorstep. Now, yeah, nobody has time to go to the grocery store, buy all the ingredients, and then put the meals together, and then you spend all day cooking. Well, this is a way where you can put together restaurant-quality gourmet food on your own. If you live alone, you can do it yourself. If you've got a family... Bring the kids in. Make this a family activity. This is an excellent bonding activity. And you can put everybody together, give each person a part, and everybody can enjoy the rewards of a family home-cooked meal. On the menu for this week, check this out. We've got seared pork chops and chipotle mayo with red rice, snap peas, and hot honey. Southern spiced chicken with buttermilk mashed potatoes and green beans. This is healthy stuff, and it is good. It's very good. Guaranteed to turn any amateur into a gourmet chef. The ingredients are all pre-portioned. You've got pictures and step-by-step instructions on how to prepare each part of the meal. Average meal takes anywhere between 15 and 40 minutes from start to finish to prepare. And then you can eat it and enjoy it. Blue Apron, but... In order to get $60 off your first month, you got to go to DerekIzzy.com and click on the Blue Apron link. Near the bottom of the page, you'll see all the sponsors of the show. DerekIzzy.com and then click on the Blue Apron link at the bottom of the page. That will get you $60 off your first month. If you ever get tired of using Blue Apron, just discontinue your subscription. It is that easy. And now the topic of today's podcast. Since we are in the month of August and it is baseball season, this is a doubleheader. To start you off, got an interesting fact, little known history in baseball. There was a pitcher named King Cole, Leonard Leslie King Cole. Back in 1910, he helped the Chicago Cubs win the National League pennant with an overall record of 20 and 4. He was one of the better pitchers in the game. What makes him interesting for this podcast is the no-hitter that he pitched but didn't pitch. What do you mean? That's kind of confusing. Well, back in the early 1900s, baseball was the same game but slightly different. And here's what I mean. In 1991... Major League Baseball officially changed the definition of a no-hitter to mean 
no hits, but the pitcher must pitch at least nine innings. King Cole's no-hitter only lasted seven innings. What was the reason for that? Well, back in those days, one of the primary modes of transportation was trains. In order for the teams to catch the train to get back home, they had to end the game by 5 p.m. Both teams agreed to this. Therefore, the game would only last seven innings. Could you imagine if that happened today? Both teams just making an agreement, hey, there's something else going on, or there's a special event that we want to get to, so we're just going to shut down the game early. Well, that's what they did, so they could get to the trains on time. Shutting the game down early gave King Cole a no-hitter, but it was only through seven innings, and therefore the no-hitter, based on the 1991 rule change, would no longer count. And now, the main topic of today's podcast, a doubleheader, we are bringing you two short stories that occur in the baseball world. Carl William Mays, born on November 12, 1891, was a right-handed pitcher in Major League Baseball from 1915 to 1929. He grew up in a fairly strict household. His father was a Methodist minister and raised him as such. At the age of 12, Carl's father would die. Dealing with the death of his father was difficult for this 12-year-old. He kept mostly to himself and internalized his feelings. As he grew up, he decided to drop out of high school. He started playing as a semi-pro baseball player. He traveled throughout Oklahoma, Kansas, and Utah playing for semi-pro teams. This is where he found his gift. He went up into the minor leagues. After some time in the minors, he was finally drafted to the big show. Carl Mays was now a professional Major League Baseball player. Carl had studied the techniques of some of the great pitchers of the day. His pitching style was fairly unusual. It was almost an underhanded pitching style. Described as a submarine, one of his favorite and most effective pitches was the spitball. That's where the pitcher literally spits on the ball, adding weight to a particular section of it, and then when the ball is thrown, it kind of behaves erratically, giving the batter a difficult moving target to hit. While this would be later outlawed in Major League Baseball, back at the time it was a perfectly legal pitch. In his rookie season of 1915, Mays was used mostly as a relief pitcher. He was starting to develop a reputation as a headhunter. In one incident, he was going up against one of the great batters, Ty Cobb. Carl Mays threw his pitches very close to Ty Cobb. In the eighth inning, getting frustrated with all the pitches that were coming so close to hitting him, Ty Cobb threw his bat at the pitcher calling him a no-good son-of-a-bitch. Carl Mays, unfazed by this, responded by calling Ty Cobb a yellow dog. After everyone had calmed down after the incident, Mays threw another pitch, hitting Ty Cobb on the wrist. Mays was developing a reputation as a tough guy that no one wanted to mess with and a reputation for hitting batters. This fear would be part of Carl May's success. 
If you're going up to bat and you're worried that the pitcher is going to hit you, you're obviously less likely to take a free swing. A year later, after being used as a relief pitcher, he came on as a starter. 18 wins, 13 losses his first season as a starter with an ERA of a 2.39. As his reputation grew as a headhunter, Carl Mays really didn't seem to mind. He didn't seem to have the attitude that he wanted to hurt people, but he wasn't bothered by the fact that some of the batters feared him. Born on January 15, 1891, was Raymond Johnson Chapman. While born in Kentucky, he was raised in Illinois. 1912, joined Major League Baseball with the Cleveland team. Now, back then, they weren't the Cleveland Indians. They were the Cleveland Naps. Like, Naps. It, uh, it's in the middle of the day, and you're kind of tired, so you're going to take a nap. The Cleveland Naps, 1912. Ray Chapman was known for his bunting skills. In 1918, he led the league in runs scored and walks. Batted 300 or better, three years. He led Cleveland in stolen bases four times. And in 1917, he actually set the team record with 52 stolen bases. That record set in 1917 actually stood until 1980 when it was finally broken. As a man known for his bunting skills, he was definitely not afraid to stand in the pocket and hold his bat out in anticipation of that fastball coming right down the middle. It was rumored that Ray Chapman was getting ready to retire from baseball. The year was 1920 when he and Carl Mays would cross paths. Now off the field, Ray Chapman was kind of a really cheerful, enthusiastic guy, quite the opposite of Carl Mays. And Ray Chapman had some highfalutin friends. He had some friends that were in show business, guys like Al Jolson, Will Rogers. These were guys that, that knew Ray by name and that he could hang out with. Ray was kind of a, a hero in that aspect that a lot of people looked up to him, and he seemed to have a good life. That year was 1920. He had just bought a house with his wife, and they were planning a family. His wife was pregnant, and they were expecting. Ray Chapman was in the batter's box, facing Carl Mays. Carl Mays, with his submarine pitch delivery, was observing Chapman's stance. As he wound up to throw, Ray Chapman kind of took a little bit of a step back. This kind of signaled to Carl that he was going to hit the ball down the first baseline. Maybe a bunt. In anticipation of this, Carl threw his fastball. The ball went high to the inside corner. Ray Chapman stood there and watched. With a loud crack, the infield rushed in to get the ball to throw Ray Chapman out at first. But Ray Chapman was not running to first base. Ray Chapman had fallen to his knees. He tried to get up, but he fell down again. The infield had thought that Chapman had bunted, that the ball had just hit the bat and ricocheted off. But that is not what happened. The ball had bounced off Ray Chapman's head. The umpire looked to the stands, yelling for a doctor. Blood was coming out of the side of Ray's head. Two doctors arrived and applied ice, while two of his teammates helped him get off the field. 
It was an unusual event. No one really knew what was going on. Ray Chapman would go to the hospital where he lapsed into a coma and died. August 17, 1920, Ray Chapman became the first and only fatality in Major League Baseball on the field. Looking back to find a cause, the cause was definitely head trauma. This would lead to a lot of changes as far as the Major League Baseball rules went. This led to the outlaw of spitballs, and it led to a change in how pitchers used the baseball. Back in those days, they used to scuff it up, make it dirty, anything they could do to weigh down the ball, make it less visible, and make it behave more erratically. And umpires were given more baseballs to pass out when the used baseballs would get dirty. Carl Mays would become somewhat of a pariah, having taken a lot of heat for the death of Ray Chapman. This bad luck surrounding the Chapman family would not be the end of their streak of bad luck. Ray Chapman's wife, Kathleen, she used to support her husband and be a fan of baseball. But after his sudden death, she could never step foot in a baseball stadium again. Seven months later, she gave birth to a baby girl. Ray never lived to see the birth of his daughter. Two years after his daughter was born, Kathleen Chapman would marry a cousin. A few years later, Kathleen would die. Kathleen's cause of death was poison. The family's conclusion was that it had been accidentally ingested, but there were rumors that it was a successful suicide. Ray and Kathleen's baby girl, she would then go on to live with her grandmother, and then a year later, she died of measles. When quoted about Ray Chapman's death, Carl Mays said, It is the most regrettable incident of my baseball career. I would give anything if I could undo what has happened. Chapman was a game-splendid fellow. Soon after Ray Chapman's death, a bronze plaque was designated in his honor, funded by the donation of his fans. The plaque has Ray Chapman's bust, framed by a baseball diamond and flanked by two bats, one of which is draped with a fielder's mitt. At the bottom of the tablet, it is inscribed with, He lives in the hearts of all who knew him. As Cleveland moved from one stadium to another, the plaque had gotten lost in all the transitions. But back in 2007, when cleaning out a storage room, the plaque was discovered. It was refurbished and made a part of Heritage Park at Progressive Field. In contrast to Ray Chapman, Carl Mays lived a long life. After his Major League Baseball career, he had a flourishing family, and he went on to work with young pitchers, teaching them the tricks of Major League Baseball and developing them into pro athletes. In 2009, for the National Baseball Hall of Fame induction, Carl Mays was on the ballot. However, he only made it on about 25% of the ballots and therefore was not selected for the Hall of Fame. For the second half of our doubleheader, the Derek Izzy Show brings you a more upbeat story. For our second game, this one, while true, 
happened in the minor leagues. Now, to give you some of the background, there's a lot of trickery that goes on in baseball when it comes to picking off runners. Runners are trying to steal bases, and it was very common when you get a runner on third for them to make an attempt to steal home. Now, the defensive team, they wanted to encourage that runner to try and steal home and then tag them out at home plate. And there are many ways to do this. You can fake a throw. You can throw the ball to third base and have the third baseman drop it intentionally. The runner thinks that the baseball's been dropped. They make a run for home plate, not realizing that the third baseman dropped it on purpose, and he knows right where it is, and he's going to throw the runner out. So there's lots of deceit that goes into getting that runner to attempt to steal. In August of 1987, the second half of a doubleheader, two minor league teams were going at it. It was the Reading Phillies against the Williamsport Bills. Williamsport, Pennsylvania, known for the Little League World Series, had a team called the Bills that was an affiliate of the Cleveland Indians. The Reading Phillies, obviously an affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. This bout of trickery was planned out by the catcher for the Williamsport Bills. The catcher by the name of Dave Bresnahan. It was in the fifth inning of the game. There were two outs. Dave told the umpire that part of his mitt was broken and he would need a new mitt. He got the new mitt, came back to home plate. The pitcher threw the pitch. Dave saw the runner on third, made the throw to third base, The ball went right past the third baseman into the outfield. The runner on third headed towards home. As he approached home plate, Dave was waiting for him and tagged him out. How did that happen? The ball had sailed over into the outfield, but did the catcher have a second ball? That's not even possible. The outfielder retrieved the ball from the outfield, but it wasn't a ball. It was a potato that was painted like a baseball. The ultimate form of trickery had just been pulled off. Dave Bresnahan had painted a potato, hidden it in a mitt that was kept aside so that in the middle of the game, he could exchange his mitt for another mitt that had the potato inside of it, throw the potato over the third baseman's head while keeping the real ball inside his mitt and thus tagging out the runner on third who was trying to steal home. This brilliant form of trickery backfired on poor Dave. While it was quite original, he put a lot of work and a lot of planning into this technique, but it got him pulled from the game, fined $50, and then cut from the team. A year later, the team retired his number at a sold-out baseball game, where anyone could attend for $1 and a potato. The potato used in this game still exists. It's been preserved in a jar of alcohol. While the Baseball Hall of Fame has no interest in keeping a relic like this, it is owned by a private citizen. During the melee, the umpire ended up ruling the runner safe. Dave would go on to say, I was just trying to put some fun into the game. I mean, it's not like it was the seventh game of the World Series. We're in 7th place, 26 games out of 1st. It was the 137th game of a 140-game season. From baseball, 
Dave ended up using his business degree, became a financial advisor. But regardless of how he performs in his financial career, he will always be known as the potato guy, Dave Bresnahan. Because now you know the rest of the story. Thank you for listening. Support the sponsors who support the Derek Izzy Show because that's how we stay on the air. The way to do that is go to DerekIzzy.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page where the sponsors are listed, and click on Blue Apron. Using that link, and that link only, will get you $60 off your first month of Blue Apron. Gourmet meals cooked at home by amateurs. Amazing food. Prepared 15 to 40 minutes. Healthy food. Good for one person, good for two people, good for a family of four. Whatever you need it, Blue Apron has the options. You can subscribe or cancel your subscription at any time, but you have to use the link on DerekIzzy.com. Don't forget to write a review for us on iTunes. iTunes reviews help the show grow, and growing is the only way we can continue the success. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can reach me, Derek, at DerekIzzy.com if you need to email me. And this concludes the show. Good day.